0: I'm DeWitt Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment. No illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show where we discuss all things social justice and criminal justice. Where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen of your constitutional rights, to provide educational occupational guidance to school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I believe to whom much is given, much is required. I want to speak power to truth. What I'd like to do is take the two criminal justice degrees that the Lord has blessed me with and couple that with my 34 years of experience as a probation officer, 24 years as a criminal justice professor, the knowledge I've gained as a three-time author, life experience, and Minister Hope. That is what I've tried to do my entire life and what I want to do podcast. My desire is to be a light that sits up on a hill that cannot be hid. I did my best to do that in the three books that I published. Hope Deferred Makes the Heart Sick is centered on the relationship between police officers and African-American men. Viola Luzo, a true martyr. Viola was uh, the only white woman to be murdered during the march from Selma to Montgomery with Dr. King, John Lewis, and many other civil rights leaders. She was seeking to help African-Americans gain voting rights and ends up being killed by four Ku Klux Klanmen. Here was a woman who had nothing to gain and everything to lose. She had four children, was living the middle class lifestyle, and when she saw Bloody Sunday on TV, she said she had to go and help. If only we all had her spirit, a spirit of wanting to help the less fortunate. Dr. King, who preached her funeral, said, If physical death is the price some must pay to save us and our white brethren from eternal death of the spirit, then no sacrifice can be more redemptive. I was trying my best to get to Detroit over the Christmas holiday because since the publishing of my book, the city of Detroit has unveiled a beautiful statue of her. My third piece, The Douglas Connection, about a Negro school in Festus, Missouri, is really about justice as well. The Douglas Connection changed my life. This show will have three goals. To make you, the American citizen, more aware of your individual rights or your constitutional rights to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students desiring to have a career in the criminal justice field, and to be a voice for change. One of the areas I'd like to see changed is race relations. Therefore, I will be speaking about that on a regular basis. I must let you know up front that when it comes to race relations, my upbringing in Festus and Crystal City is the standard by which I now compare all race relations. In the Douglas Connection, I talk about a white man by the name of Ralph B. Tynes, who was superintendent of Festus schools, the Negro and White School. After Brown versus the Board of Education was passed, he walked into the Festus Gymnasium, now named after him, in 1955 and said, This year, Miss McCullough, Miss Willa McCullough, We'll teach a typing class, and next year, we're going to integrate. I also talk about a man named Dick Cook, legendary Crystal City High School coach who coached many years with his good friend, Rodney Mills. Dick Cook played on the first integrated Crystal City High School football team with three African Americans, Richard Bias, Mr. Benny Evans, Don Riney. Bias, Evans, and Riney were accepted unconditionally. So you see, race relations, where I come from, Were strong. You learned early on to judge a man not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. Improvement in the area of race relations and being a voice for change is one driving force for the show. The other two reasons informing you, the American citizen of your constitutional rights and being an educational and occupational guidance for high school and college students. Well, I just feel I need to give back this episode. Episode one, A call to action is about my background, the justice for all mission and purpose, the goals of justice for all. At the end of the day's episode, I hope you will understand why I feel I need to do this podcast and why I feel the way that I do. I don't know about you, but when I want to establish a real friendship with someone, I have to spend some time getting to know them. That is what I'd like to do today. I want you to feel as though you are a part of the podcast. I want you to feel free to email me or tell me if you agree or if you disagree. Feel free to make suggestions for the justice-related issues or uh, what to be presented on the show. We can even collaborate on the show if you like, as long as it fits the mission, objectives, and goals of the show. So let me take you on a journey for your understanding of who I am, where I come from, and how I ended up where I am today. I was born in a city called Kirkwood, Missouri. Kirkwood was just where I was born or where I was birthed, but my family always lived in Festus and Crystal City. My mom and I had a conversation just recently about this a couple of weeks ago. We both were cracking up because I had always wanted to ask her two questions that I just never got around to asking her, and those two questions were, How did I end up being born in Kirkwood, 30 miles away from Festus and Crystal City? And what time of the day was I born on January 1st? Was I the first baby born in the area? I only asked that question because over the years, everyone always asked me, Were you the first baby born in your area? Well, after my mom got done laughing about my questions, she said, The reason I was born in Kirkwood is because. She had to birth me at a clinic, and that was because we didn't have insurance. You were not the firstborn either. She was like, boy, you was born sometime around 7 o'clock in the evening, and we just laughed about that. My mother, Ned Hall, birthed me at the age of 15. That is how my life started. A 15-year-old teenager birthing me into this world with no doubt a lot of fear and trepidation. I didn't know at the time, but my mother would have to drop out of high school to raise me and my sister Wanda, who was born the following year. My mother, with a lot of hard work, a loving family and a very caring community, earned her GED and entered the workforce. She spent 39 years working for the Jefferson County Head Start Program. She taught 17 of those years and was the director of the school. For 22 years, herein lies the reason why she is my hero. The thought of aborting me never entered her mind. She set out to raise this baby into an emerging adult. When I think of my mother, I think about one of my favorite poets and one of my favorite poems. It goes like this. I am the darker brother. They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes. But I laugh and I eat well and I grow strong. Tomorrow. I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. For I, too, am America. Langston Hughes, 1925. Though times were hard and it was definitely a struggle, my mother did the best she could to care for us. Get to the age of five and I start attending. Crystal City Elementary School. At the age of five, I would begin primary school in Crystal City as my family lived on County Row in the city limits. I love Crystal City Elementary School, a school in a town of about 3,500 people. The city was originally called New Detroit because it had a factory called Pittsburgh Plate Glass, a glass manufacturing plant, PPG as it would become known, was where African-Americans were employed well before integration. It was a driving force behind Crystal City's progressive integrated educational system. The people of the town could have easily resisted. But like Viola Luzo, Dr. King, Fannie Lou Hamer, and the great Harriet Tudman, the the people believe nobody's free until everybody's free. I befriended a lot of people at Crystal City Elementary School, Don Marshall, Chucky White, Tracy Lowell, Danny Short, Susan Albashan, Donna Pottock, Brenda Brown, and Sarah Hampton, just to mention a few. I sometimes get choked up just thinking about those people, because to this day, they are still good friends of mine. Festers in Crystal City today have a combined population of approximately 17,000 people and has remained about 5% black. These people are still great friends of mine. Some, like Tracy Lowe, I haven't seen in years, but are still a great friend. My favorite teacher was a young, vibrant, nice-looking lady by the name of Betty Pope. In my most recent book entitled The Douglas Connection, I write about a teacher named Bernice Thompson who eventually would be a member of the second Douglas graduating class in 1941. My grandfather, Warren Bingham, a member of the first class of five in 1940. I mentioned Miss Thompson because she had to sit out of high school for two years until the 11th and 12th grades were started in 1940. She would get her college degree at Lincoln University, my alma mater, go back to teach at Douglas, the Negro school and was one of the five teachers along with Miss McCullough to break the color barrier at Festus High School. The Caucasian High School in 1955, Miss Thompson was known to hand out hugs like other teachers handed out spelling lists. She dressed to the nines as well. Well, Betty Pope was the exact same way. I loved going to school just to be in her classroom. Crystal City Elementary School was a blessing to me. Being a child of a 20 year old young adult mother, I was blessed to have free lunch and breakfast. I'll never forget the sweet lunchroom cook with the last name of Roth. She was so kind, and the food was so good. Wonderful memories at Crystal City Elementary School, where I attended up to the fifth grade. I loved to attend the high school football games at times when players like Greg Block. D.J. Bias and Mark Dement, coached by the legendary high school coaches Dick Cook and Rodney Mills, were who I looked up to and who were great in my eyes as a young nine-year-old kid. My mother would have two additional children, Tammy and Raul, Marry my stepfather, Paul Hall, who had four children, Larry, Paula, Paul Jr., and Jane. Though the gender was three to five, we still called ourselves the Brady Bunch. It was 10 of us living in the three-bedroom home. My mother and father had a room, five boys had a room, and the three girls had a room. It was tight. If you've ever been to New York and had to stay in a hotel, you know that the rooms are very small. It was just like that. They are like dorm rooms. And that's how tight it was in the Bingham and the Hall home. And though we would occasionally fuss and fight, we had a lot of love for each other. As a result of my mother marrying my stepfather, we would move to Festus to live. Something I really didn't want to do. I didn't want to move and was afraid things would not be as good. But we were all committed to making it work. So thus, I entered the Festus school system. Once I moved to Festus, I started attending Festus Middle School, which at the time housed 6th and 7th graders. And on that ground right now is the police department. Uh, I think the music department or the music building and the lunchroom are still there, but police department is now there where the school building used to be. Had Mr. Elders and Mr. Perry, both fine teachers. Mr. Elders, a big teddy bear, and Mr. Perry, a feisty older gentleman who also was a radio personality locally. I would go on to meet wonderful people like Anthony Lawrence, Robert Cook, Anthony Shores, Jeff Pottick. Kim Waller, Jim Probst, and Scott Crady, to mention a few. I'll never forget Jeff Pottick coming up to me almost every day once I went to Festus and asking me what school I like best. Festus or Crystal City. And that time, in my heart, I was loving Crystal City, but I would say Festus because I wanted Jeff Pottick, who is still an awesome friend of mine, to to like me. We actually played on the same Little League baseball team together, along with Jim Probst and Scott Crady, two real good friends of mine. But what a time that was. New transition. On to junior high and high school where I would meet more friends, including the R7 crew. Definitely more white students than black, as my graduating class only had seven African-Americans. After I graduated high school, I would go on to attend LU, Lincoln University, and then after graduating from there on to ISU, after high school, I attended Lincoln University, which is a historical black college in Jefferson City, Missouri. My experience socially, culturally, spiritually, and academically was very different than it was at Festus High School. I'll never forget the first dorm meeting we had my freshman year, the dorm director a five foot seven, 140 pound African American man named Dr. Sykes. He had a long pointed beard and one finger was missing on his right hand. He stood up on a chair and he pointed in a downward fashion at about 100 black 18 year old young men and said, Why are you here? Why are you here? Why he wanted to be a dorm director with a doctorate degree with the responsibility of training and disciplining a group of rowdy 18-year-old Bell College students I'll never understand. Looking back on it, though, I think he wanted to pass something on to me. Love, Dr. Sykes. My favorite teacher at LU was a guy by the name of Robert Robinson. And though I pledged Kappa Alpha Psi, and he was a member of Omega Psi Phi, he had the greatest student uh, teacher, or we had the greatest student-teacher relationship that a person could ever have. I never wanted to disappoint him. It was he who advised me to attend Illinois State University after hearing the Criminal Justice Department was recruiting minorities. I get to Illinois State, and I begin begin to see Festus all over again. I had a a different but wonderful experience at ISU, where my favorite teacher was Dr. Ralph Weisscheidt a man of great character, service, love, and kindness, and is known all over the country for his research on drugs and alcohol. McLean County never knew where Bloomington Normal was before I packed up my car and traveled to the big metropolis of Bloomington Normal. Bloomington Normal with a population of over 100,000 people, approximately 10% Black, but one of the negatives that At least that I see is that even though it's only 10 percent black recently, approximately 50 percent of the jail commitments were African-American, maybe the most conservative county in the state of Illinois. For the largest or the longest of time, I've hoped for equality on the four law enforcement agencies, Bloomington Police Department, Normal Police Department, McLean County Sheriff's Department and Illinois State University Police Department. I believe in the percentage plan. A percentage theorist like myself believes that all police departments should be represented by the percentage of the city. For example, Bloomington has 100 police officers, and the city is 10% African American. Therefore, the police force, I believe, should at least have 10 police officers. That way you don't have a Ferguson, Missouri, where the town is 67% black and 70% of the officers are white. During the Michael Brown killing, there were only three black police officers on the force. And I really believe that our cities, Bloomington Normal, are at least trying to make an effort. But that 10%, if you have 100 police officers and you only have two African-American police officers, then I think that you're falling short and that we need to, improve in that area. So that's one of the things that we definitely will uh, keep before you in the Justice for All podcast. Bloomington Normal are beautiful twin cities that remind me a lot of home. It is one of the first places Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. came after awarded or after being awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in nineteen sixty six. It is a place where I've come to call home. So in conclusion of this particular episode, my life experiences a desire for better race relations to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students and to inform you, the American citizen of your civil rights, are all reasons I want to do the Justice for All podcast. I see racial strife all around me, police brutality of African-American men, overrepresentation of African-American men in jails and prisons inequality in housing, education, and criminal justice workforce. I see a majority of Caucasian people storm the United States Capitol and little to nothing is done about it. I see minority people not given the same opportunity to serve in the criminal justice system in proportion with their white counterparts. I see the president of the United States commit criminal acts and nothing happened to him. After 33 years of service as a probation officer, 25 years as a criminal justice adjunct professor, a three time author, a preacher. It never crossed my mind that the ruler of the free world, the person with the most power in the world, the president of the United States, would get away with presenting himself as one above the law as a king. How is it that our system has this flaw and no one seems to really want to rectify the problem? The president, of all people, should go to jail if he violates the law. He shouldn't be allowed to escape justice just because he or she is sitting the sitting president. The United States Department of Justice has a policy, not law, but that policy states the indictment or criminal prosecution of a sitting president would unconstitutionally undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutional assigned function. No, no, no. Of all people, this is the person who should be the best example for the American people. If a president violates the law, he should be prosecuted. That's why we have a vice president. If the president or or if President Biden or if uh, former President Obama violate the law, they should go to jail. Now, whether or not he or she is removed from the office is a different subject. The criminal justice system reflects the complex interactions of social values, law, concepts of social justice, and economic forces. Sometimes the changes in the criminal justice system are deliberate, such as when the government undertakes change to reform the system or landmark cases are decided by the United States Supreme Court. There have been other influences such as the civil rights movement, protests, civil disobedience, And rising concern of racial bias and discrimination. So now you know a little bit about me and why I want to host this type of podcast. Again, the show will be centered on social justice and criminal justice issues. The three objectives or the three main goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of his or her individual rights or constitutional rights, encourage, instruct, and give career guidance to college and high school students who are pursuing or have a desire to pursue a career in the criminal justice field and to be a voice for change. When we talk about constitutional rights, we're talking about rights regarding MAP versus Ohio, or we will will cover MAP versus Ohio, Terry versus Ohio, stop and frisk United States versus weeks, the exclusionary rule, the fourth amendment, search and seizure, the fifth amendment, right against self-incrimination, the sixth amendment, and speedy trial, the right to an attorney if you can't afford one. We'll discuss cashless bond, the death penalty, racial profiling, past U.S. Supreme Court judges, including James P. McReynolds, who was a racist on the court and turned his back when Charles Houston was giving his argument in a case in 1938. We will talk about the greatest lawyer, attorney, and judge to ever walk the face of the earth, none other than the great Thurgood Marshall. We'll talk about RBG, and Justice Clarence Thomas, and compare and contrast them all. We'll talk about Black Lives Matter, white supremacy. When we talk about white supremacy, we ought to know that white supremacy has always been the country's biggest national security threat. We shouldn't pretend this is a new problem. We've long lived alongside murderers, and we need to have a conversation with solutions. We'll talk about the difference it makes when African Americans are given the opportunity to serve as criminal justice professionals. So the show will present an episode every two weeks. Each episode will have a a guest that will be interviewed. This person will have a connection to at least one of the goals of the show. So now that you know a little bit about me and what is to come in the future, I hope I have said something or said enough to stimulate your interest in the show and hope you will tune in. Till next time keep living your best life god bless and god speed <laughs>